Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, referring to Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. And Father, I just humbly ask for the grace and help of your Holy Spirit to just be yielded that your spirit may speak among us this morning and that we would each, Lord, help us have an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church through this particular portion of the word of God as we continue to avail our hearts and minds and soul and spirit to its attention. So we ask, Lord, as an act of worship now, help us to give you our attention and to be expectant and to receive what it is you want to say to us today as this congregation assembled here through this section of your word. Bless this time, we ask, by your Spirit's ministry. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You know, as human beings, we use the term on occasion, our value system. And of course, when we talk about our value system, we're just referring to those things that we deem as important or valuable in our lives and how we kind of maybe order our life or direct our life around those values that we esteem important. And so in light of that, I want you to ponder, if you would, just for a moment on the front end of this study, how important is spending time alone with God? Where does that rank in your value system? And I don't say to answer that mentally, I would say do an honest assessment of your life practically. If you were to say what your value system was, but more than that, if you were to display what your value system really is, how important is spending time alone with God? I pray by looking at this morning's passage together that this passage by the Holy Spirit's influence would cause all of us to have a higher view, an increased view of the importance of being alone with God. Now, Though Jesus himself, we know, was God dwelling in human flesh, living among us on this earth in a human body, the Bible clearly, I think, appears to reveal that our Lord Jesus Christ, during his time of living as a man on this earth, that while living as a man, predominantly just like all other humans, in the way that he lived, in the way that he functioned, in the way that he did ministry, that it was all done in total dependence upon God the Father. That Jesus, though he came to this earth as God and he retained his deity, taking to himself a second nature in humanity, in some ways, though my mind can't fully wrap around it, that he predominantly during that time as a man chose to live just like you and I as humans experiencing all that we do, but also clearly, in a way, to some degree, though I don't fully grasp it all, it seems he lived, functioned, and ministered in absolute dependence upon God the Father, relying upon him completely, operating in humble servanthood, yet in great power, but because he was fully reliant upon the Father in heaven. 
In John's Gospel, chapter 5, we see this portrayed where there Jesus angered the religious Jews in that day by helping and healing a man on the Sabbath. It tells us that Jesus said to a particular paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk. And this irritated the religious Jews because he did this on the Sabbath day. They deemed that as work, telling someone to carry a mat. And remember, it was, they were so angry, it says they actually wanted to kill Jesus, to which Jesus responded in this way. And listen to Jesus' words. He said, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, that is in their mind, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So it was a revelation of his deity, they said. Then Jesus answered and said, listen, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does also in like manner. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous. So notice in a matter of the same section of a few statements of Jesus, he indicates that he was making himself equal with God by claiming what he did. But in the same statements, he also says the father is working. I'm also working but he says, the reality is, I want you to understand, he declared twice, we read it there, the son can do nothing of himself. And then he says, I can of myself do nothing. The idea is I am fully dependent upon the father. I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. I only make judgments and righteous decisions as I sort those things through with the father, but living in total reliance upon him. So for that reason, the beautiful thing is this, we worship Jesus as Lord and Savior for his deity. So we worship him according to his deity, but we also should realize that we should follow Jesus in all manner of his humanity. And so we follow Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man, the one who was the perfect representation of what man was truly to be like, living in dependence upon the father and how he righteously lived out his life according to the will of God. And in our passage, we see how our Lord here as the perfect model of humanity operated, we can tell from these verses, in this way of dependence upon the father even clearly spending time alone with the Heavenly Father, prioritizing, drawing helpful instruction and strength, living fully dependent upon the Father, seeking Him, and really just drawing from Him what He needed to function as He lived out His earthly life. And I think it, we can, from it, better understand the value and importance for our lives as well of spending time alone with God as we follow the great example of the humanity of Jesus. Remember, on one occasion, Jesus, in a very similar way, spoke of the same need in our lives of not being able to do anything apart from dependence upon him. Remember John 15, as Jesus gave that analogy of the vine and the branches, and he said, unless the branch stays connected to the vine, the source where the sap flows through, he said, that branch can never produce fruit. If the power is not flowing through the branch, 
to produce fruit on the other end. He says that branch will be unfruitful, but he says if the branch stays connected to the vine, the sap flows and then fruit can be produced. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then remember he made this statement. He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Same thing he said about apart from the Father, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus said in the same way you and I, apart from connection to him, the divine power of God, that we can do nothing of ourselves. And again, it doesn't mean literally we can do nothing. There are unsaved people who are doing things all day long. What Jesus is conveying is we can do nothing of spiritual value, eternal benefit, nothing, we can produce no spiritual fruit. The idea is you can't and I can't manufacture living out the Christian life. We can't live out the Christian life in the flesh. That's the great mistake so many make and why Paul said in Galatians, having begun in the spirit as a Christian, are you now going to perfect your Christian life in the flesh? Having initially been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit from sins and struggles, now all of a sudden, are you going to overcome your sin in your fleshly efforts? Or, or having initially experienced the power of the Holy Spirit to do anything in the Christian life, he says, are you now just an experienced Christian and you're going to go with your Bible knowledge and your Christian experience and that's good enough and so you're going to just on fumes just kind of carry out the rest of it. And he says, that's crazy. We need to stay constantly connected to the power of the Lord by being connected to him. So whether it's the Christian life or Christian work to serve the purposes of God's kingdom, it cannot be done through human effort or human energy. Now, the backdrop of what we're looking at this morning of this record is very critical, particularly because it adds, I believe, tremendous further understanding to no doubt why the Holy Spirit gives us this snapshot of the life of Jesus. Jesus' schedule that he maintained during his years of ministry was extremely busy, incredibly busy. I mean, we can't even fathom, we have the gospel records, but how demanding the time that was required of Jesus, the pool upon his life, people who wanted to interact with him, the schedule that he maintained in all of his earthly ministry and his, his energies and how he poured out his life to people. But yet the thing that's so beautiful, you ever notice when you read the gospel, Jesus never seems like he felt interrupted. It never seems like he didn't have time for someone. Jesus was incredibly individual-oriented. I mean, some of his greatest statements were made with individuals. John 3, for God so loved the world, being born again. That was a conversation with one person. The woman at the well, Jesus took time with her and said incredible things to her. And Jesus had such, I can't even begin to fathom, an incredibly busy schedule. In fact, the prior day, we see an example of that from our last study in Mark's gospel, where remember, during a weekly worship meeting at the synagogue, Jesus had powerfully delivered, remember, we saw a demon-possessed man. And when he delivered that demon-possessed man at the weekly worship gathering, transforming his life, everyone was astonished at the power of God. And then after that, he then, remember, miraculously and instantaneously healed Peter's mother-in-law of her illness. And word of the power of Jesus to heal and to deliver from demons and to help people with the struggles in their life, word about that spread like wildfire through the community. And everyone was hearing about the power of Jesus. No doubt that's why, if you glance back with me to verse 32 of our last few verses, we read this. At evening, when the sun had set, 
they brought to him, look what it says, all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city, verse 33, was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. The picture there is of a long day of ministry that kept going long in probably to the late night hours. As the whole town were now hearing of what Jesus had done for a few people, and they're all bringing their relatives and their friends and their neighbors who have all types of issues, sickness and disease and illness and, and struggles spiritually with demonic oppression and demonic possession. And, and this picture here is this day of ministry that now translates into a very long night of constant ongoing ministry into late hours. And consider, if you would, the physical drain that would take upon Jesus' human body. Now, let me go beyond that, beyond just the physical drain that would bring upon his body. Imagine the drain that also brought upon his mind and his emotions and his inward life, right? Any of us understand to some degree, physical exhaustion is one thing, but we also understand as humans like mental exhaustion, right? And emotionally drained, maybe because of interacting with people or what the nature of what you may do to you know, work or, or help people. So here's Jesus handling and processing and navigating all these various issues of all these people being brought to him, listening to their stories, hearing about their struggles, embracing their situations with them, making decisions, compassionately talking to them, providing direction, helping them, praying for them. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom that constant ongoing caring for people to help and to minister all their issues. What a drain that would put upon the Lord. Again, he was a man. And just the incredible drain and the exhaustion that would bring to his humanity. Now, it's that picture of Jesus being super busy into the late hours the prior day where he would be wearied that makes verse 35 to me, all the more staggering, because look what it says. Now, in the morning, after that prior late night, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, one might expect, after the previous day, to read in verse 35 that Jesus took the next day off, or he at least slept in in the morning, right? Right? And, and showed up at 10 a.m. or something. I mean, that, that would be the natural reasoning of the physical drain and exhaustion. Yet, despite the prior day's demands, notice Jesus holds an early morning appointment where he spends time alone with his heavenly father. In the morning, it says there, he arose a long while before daylight broke while it was still dark and it was still quiet and he goes out and spends some time alone with his father. You know, it's interesting, the terms that are used there in the Greek of the early morning, it's actually the terms that would describe what was referred to as the last watch for soldiers who were on the night shift. And we know that last watch of soldiers who were on night shift was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So where exactly it was, that's the time frame this is describing 
the early morning, the terms that are used there, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., our Lord awakes from sleep, gets out from under his covers, wherever he was at, and the Holy Spirit emphasizes not right before daylight, but look what it says, verse 35. It says, a long while. It doesn't say right before daylight. It says a long while, right before daylight would happen. So again, no doubt why. He wants to give adequate time Why others are still schnoozing because all the other disciples were probably tired too. They'd helped Jesus. And he thought they're going to be exhausted. So uh, they are going to sleep in and I'm going to live myself adequate time. So he gets up, finds a quiet place to go be alone and chooses to willingly sacrifice some additional sleep, putting the priority and the need and the importance in his value system as a man, on the health of his inward condition and his inward life foremost. And to me, I find this as a really, really encouraging example, something that we should all want to aspire to, because look, he put that emphasis on the need of the inward life, and I think it's a great example for us, because truth be told, some people very proudly get up in the very early morning hours. You may be one of them. Some people very proudly get up. You know, I hear a lot about these days when people are getting up at 4.30 a.m. And some people very proudly get up in the very morning hours, employing great discipline and sacrificing sleep. But they do it to exercise for an hour or two. Or they get up at 4.30 a.m. to do two hours of work before they have to go into their job and actually activate. And so look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm saying is it's amazing what people will proudly do to get up early for. Jesus got up early in the morning to focus on relationship with the heavenly father. He got up super early in the morning, but the purpose of it was to focus on the inward life condition to, in a sense, we might say, exercise himself toward godliness to spend time alone with God, seeking him. He got up and found a solitary, quiet place to there pray. And Jesus' life example teaches us certainly something we want to take note of, and that is this. Is it required employing some personal discipline to stay devoted to spending time alone with the Father in heaven? Let me say that again. It required employing some personal discipline to stay devoted to spending time alone with the Father. A degree of commitment was exercised in that scene there. That is an indication of dedication to relationship with his Father that he valued it so much that he saw it as so important that he employed discipline to rule over his body over his mind, over his soul, to choose to get up early, to have bedsheet deliverance, right? We all know what that is. To get out of the bed, to drag his body out of bed, and to overcome human comforts, to give up some sleep, to give up doing maybe other activities. Again, he had a full schedule. I'm sure Jesus could have done some work in the morning too. He had plenty of things to do. He was speaking constantly and ministering continually and making decisions where to go, but it was all in order to spend quality time alone with the Father. And I think we should draw a lesson and application from that for our own lives. As we get this example of our Lord here as the perfect man, it's a pattern for us. We must implement, folks, a degree of discipline if we're going to spend routine time alone with God. You cannot exclude discipline from that. In the same way people who 
exercise for their physical health. You have to employ right, a degree of discipline to maintain physical health in your body, to maintain maybe a particular eating you know, uh, you know, dynamic if you're trying to eat a certain degree. And we can't remove discipline from its importance in the spiritual life. A degree of discipline is absolutely necessary. If we're going to stay in healthy relationship with God and be alone with God in order to seek him for the condition of our soul, to ask him for help in our lives, a degree of discipline is essential. And think of what discipline is. Discipline is saying no to one thing in order to be able to say yes to something that you deem more important, right? I mean, that's what physical exercise discipline involves. You say no to doing something else because you deem your physical health important. So you say no to yourself and you spend time exercising. Or same thing with a particular you know, dietary habit. You say no to eating the whatever, you know, filth that you want to eat <laughs> because you deem it more important to, you know, eat something else that's better for your body. But again, it's, it's saying no to one thing to say. And look, that same idea, we have to be willing to implement that in our spiritual life, to be willing to say no to ourselves to a degree, to discipline our body, to conquer, to rule over the body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection or submission, the idea is, to my spirit. And so please do not exclude, oh, that's legalistic. No, it's not legalistic. It's, it's, called, it's just called a valuable discipline. It's a good discipline. But it's something that unless we employ it, we will never find ourselves truly making time, taking time, oh, I can't find time. Nobody's that busy. I just can't find time to be alone with God. <laughs> Jesus did. Are you busier than Jesus? Am I busier than Jesus? Jesus made time. He took time. And so again, that discipline is an essential part of this. So he gets up tired, and notice it says he goes out and finds a solitary place, and there, verse 35 says, he prayed. And that term prayed is a term used to imply just general communication or interaction with a person, and particularly in this case, with God. So it describes conversation between two people, which is a two-way thing, dialogue. It means each party says things and also listens to things. And we should always remember, that is really what prayer in its essence is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be communication to God, but it's also supposed to be giving opportunity to hear from God, to try and listen to God as well. That's what true conversation with God is about, both listening as well as speaking, doing both simultaneously. You know, I just read in my own personal devotional reading this morning uh, from Numbers chapter 7. It was very beautiful. It says that Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak to God, and then he heard from God, so on and so on and so forth. But I thought that was very beautiful. He went into the tent of meeting, and don't you love how the Bible calls it the tent of meeting? The idea is that's, you know, we talked a little bit Wednesday night about when we come together here, that, that really is what we should be intending to do. We're, we're here to meet with God, to have a meeting with God, not to go through a religious routine, not to have a spiritual pep rally and get all psyched up emotionally. We're here to meet with God, to have an encounter with God. And it says Moses went into the tent of meeting that day to speak to God, and then he heard from God. And that's exactly what the Father's heart is. 
whether we sit alone with him, whenever we're seeking him, that there's that two-way correspondence. So I picture Jesus here going out to this location, and certainly he's sharing his heart with the Heavenly Father, as again, he's living with flesh and humanity, something he's never experienced for all of eternity. He's experiencing things that you and I experience, temptations and difficulties and hardships and emotions and all these kind of things as a human being. So he's dialoguing and pouring out his heart to the Father, expressing things to the Heavenly Father that he's going through, no doubt also seeking the Father for direction regarding the Father's will, as he described, so that he could do those things the Father wanted to do and say those things the Father wanted said. No doubt Jesus here, as he's praying, he's, he's interceding that the Father would work powerfully in people's lives. Father, as your word is shared today, as I go out once again and more ministry happens, prepare the hearts of people, Father, that they would be receptive and, and Father, I, I just pray that as we interacting, that you would create divine appointments. And you could hear him, no doubt. I could see, you know, asking that the Father would work in the lives of people, asking the Father for just strength and grace and help as he lived out life as a man and his humanity to serve and to be faithful to the purposes of the Father's will. And no doubt, I believe, as I inferred, even quietly listening just to hear what the Father would speak to him that he would hear what the Father's directions were to receive guidance. There's a beautiful prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50 of the Messiah, of Jesus, and it says this. Listen to it, Isaiah 50. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens me and awakens my ear to hear as one being instructed. What a beautiful prophecy of the life of Jesus there. He's given me the tongue of the learned. The idea is a tongue that has been, has been instructed to say the right things, that I should know how to speak, Jesus would say, this is about him, to speak a word in season to him is weary. Notice not just what to speak, but he says, but how to speak. How to speak a word in season. And then he says, the Father awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as one being instructed. What a beautiful thing. The Father waking him up morning by morning so that he might come and sit with the Father and then awakening his ear to hear something, to give some form of instruction. How wonderful that we would take that same thing. Again, the spirit of the risen Christ does dwell in you, and he dwells in me. And the same things that were a part of his life, he wants to bring to pass in our life as Christ is working in us, that the Father would wake us morning by morning. You know, sometimes you may wake up before your alarm clock goes off, and, and I use an alarm clock. I don't naturally get up early because I'm so spiritual. I get up early because I set an alarm clock to wake me up. But sometimes, you know how you may have that occasion where you wake up before your alarm goes off, right? And the older we get, that happens more and more. What if maybe that's the Father's way of saying, I know your body. You don't need 30 more minutes. But your soul could use 30 more minutes. Your spirit could be helped. And there are some things I could tell you with 30 more minutes of quietness. 
And so again, perhaps the Father wakes us at times to instruct us in those quiet moments. I wonder perhaps, again, as Jesus often was reading the scrolls of the scripture, we see him in the synagogues citing passages. Maybe he's even out there sitting there with the scrolls, reading through them, talking to the Father, seeing prophecies about his life, and kind of talking them through as Jesus was carrying out the prophetic scriptures. But Jesus understood spending time with the Father in prayer, seeking his will and strength and help, was vitally important for him to live righteously as a man. It became the thing that helped in making the right decisions of what to do day by day, navigating hard experiences, and Jesus' mindset there shows us that dependent reliance. And again, if I can add, if that was Jesus's pattern, how much more do I need that to be my pattern? How much more do I need and need to recognize I got to take serious being alone with God, seeking him early, living dependently. The Bible speaks of this much in different locations. Psalm 5.3 says it this way, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. The idea is expectantly. But do you hear the psalmist's heart? He says, My voice you shall hear in the morning. There sounds like there's a degree of decision there. My voice you shall hear in the morning. In the morning, Lord, I will direct it to you, and then I'm going to live out the day, he says, looking up expectantly. Having talked about things in the morning, he was all day expecting God to work and to see what God would do that day. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Job in the Old Testament, one of the, the people who God raved about his godliness God was literally bragging about his servant Job because of his godliness. What was one of the patterns in Job's life? Job chapter 1, it says in Job chapter 1 that Job got up early every single day and interceded for his children. And God drew attention to that. He got up early and he prayed. And at that point, his kids were even adult kids. But Job was praying, God, please, please help them not to get trapped in sin and to do things that are going to be ruinous and and a beautiful picture getting up early and interceding for those that we care about psalm 119 verse 147 says i rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help i hope in your word boy that's just a, a great life motto arise in the morning cry for help and hope in god's word all day long <laughs> Be in his word, Lord, this is my only hope. Give me some instruction for my day. Now, one other thing I want to draw attention to before we look through the remainder of the verses is notice it says Jesus went out, and where did he go? It says he went to, departed and went to a solitary place, a solitary place. And let me make an application and connection to that. That shows me that Jesus purposely disconnected in order to spend time alone with God. It says right there he went out, departed to a solitary place to spend time in prayer. He realized in wisdom, practically, he could not spend quality time alone with the Father right there sitting among the sleeping disciples because in a matter of moments, any one of them could have woken up, and what would they do? They're going to start chatting with Jesus. They got Jesus there. 
These guys traveled around for three years together. You think that they didn't have a good time and the camaraderie and the laughs they had and, and the things they talked about as a group of brothers going through. And, and so Jesus knew, if I sit right here, somebody's going to wake up and a conversation is going to start happening with them, and then I'm not going to be praying and having a conversation with my heavenly Father. So he detaches himself and departs from where the routine activity was going on, and it says he goes out and finds a solitary place. That word solitary speaks of somewhere remote or uninhabited, somewhere secluded. The idea is just separate from people's presence, somewhere where activity is not going on, somewhere that allowed him to be alone so that he could spend time focused in a quiet place with the Father, free from earthly distractions and demands and duties, to just have a quiet place alone, to better focus without interruption on having connection with the Heavenly Father. And to me, I think this is very beautiful to see. Jesus understood the importance of needing to purposely disconnect, to purposely, intentionally, to detach himself from other people and where other things were going on, and he implemented that into his spiritual devotional life, if you would, of spending time with the Father. And we see this pattern of Jesus, folks, all throughout the New Testament, Mark 6, 46. And when he sent them away, Jesus departed to the mountain to pray, Luke 5, 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to be alone to pray. Luke chapter 6 tells us, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from there he chose 12 of whom he then named apostles. Notice, there Jesus goes, he detaches because he was about to make an important decision. He was about to select the 12 apostles, determine who was to do ministry, and he realized, I don't want to do that just casually. He spent extended time seeking and talking to the Father before he made that very important decision. Luke 9, 18, Jesus was alone praying, and all his disciples found him. And then Luke 22, right when Jesus was facing the weight of the world on his shoulders, he knows he's about to experience the suffering for the sin of the world and the wrath of God to come upon him. And under great duress, it says, Jesus withdrew from his disciples and then he knelt down and prayed, Father, if it's possible, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Again, there's Jesus and he's processing a very difficult experience. You ever process a very difficult experience? Jesus processed the very difficult experience by getting away from human beings for a duration of time and seeking the Father on his knees, just processing that and receiving what he needed. And again, his life example shows purposeful disconnection to have quality time alone quietly with God. And folks, I cannot emphasize enough this disconnection idea. It's important if you're going to have time alone with God. It's important whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're married with kids. I'm single. I don't need to get a But you have a phone. Right? I, I cannot have my devotional time in the same room where my iPhone is. 
Uh, it's almost like what was the thing in uh, science class, the Pavlov where you where you salivate when you hear a bell or something like that. It's like you know. Bzz, bzz. <laughs> Wonder who it is. Bzz, bzz. Oh man, that's twice, man. Just, I mean, I don't know how. I can't. That's why I don't use my Bible app on my phone when I go to church. If I'm sitting on the other side of the pulpit, and I'm to each his own. You're what you're welcome to do that, and I'm and not. I'm just saying. For me, can't do it. I need the paper version. Because this thing is in my hand all day long. Texts, calls, this, that. So I need disconnection. When I go to a pastor's conference, I need a paper Bible. And I don't want my phone bothering me. I, I want to sit and, and take in. Same thing with my devotional time. You know, Once the day gets going, right, that thing's buzzing. People are, can I talk to you? So it, it's just, it is a, it's a, it's a distraction. And so there needs to be, for me, a disconnection from that. When we're married, when we have children, look, there's value, whatever that means, whether you got to get up before everybody else gets up. I, I, I navigated my family experience with four women. You can interpret that how you want, but with four women. There was a lot of talking that went on in my house. So that kind of drove me to, you have got to get up for every other human being in your house so that you can talk to God and be alone with God so that you can then properly be the best possible man of God to then talk to and love and communicate. And because once the day gets going, forget it, man. It's hard. And so look, I think there's great value in doing the disconnection thing and being practical about disconnecting for a short window of time to spend time alone with God. I think the morning is an incredible example, and I think it's very valuable. But I'm not a legalist. Maybe you're just not a morning person. You do get a lunch break. Maybe it's in the evening hours it works for you. Just find some time during your day, whether it's for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, just find some time during your day where you disconnect from all other human beings. You disconnect from all of your technology and your computer and phones and everything else, and you just go to a quiet solitary location in your house or your backyard or sit in your car, whatever you got to do to just focus on being alone with God. And again, just like the discipline of it, the disconnection component, Jesus shows it very, very valuable. Now, even as Jesus proactively disconnected to go connect with God, look how interruption and demands of life and distractions pursue you. Don't we know this? Verse 6, Simon and those who were with Jesus... They searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. So, I mean, this is just like what we go through. The disciples wake up. They realize the Lord has slipped away. Then before long, all the people from the town, it's the next morning, they start showing back up to that location, more sick loved ones, more demon-possessed relatives and friends, more ministry to be done. So Simon Peter, he was a leader by you know, example, kind of the way that he was. Just, just wait here, folks. We'll track him down. And, and Simon and a few others, they go searching for Jesus. The Greek literally implies they went hunting. <laughs> They're hunting the Lord down. They go looking for Jesus because all the crowds are coming. And when they find him, as the people have now returned, what are they thinking? They're envisioning, man, Jesus is missing an opportunity. Where's he at? Is he fishing? I mean, what's he doing? They go looking for Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they say to him, Lord, everyone's looking for you. 
implied idea. There are large crowds. Your popularity is growing. You need to capitalize on this. There are demands and needs. There's so much work to be done. People are expecting you to continue to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to miss opportunities, Lord. The people are looking for you. And when they could see all the demands and the needs and what needed to be done and addressed, they're implying and they're thinking in their human reasoning, you shouldn't be out here alone. There's a lot of work that we got to get done. We need to get an early start on this. There's ministry. The demand is high. Things got to get accomplished. And notice how they automatically assume that demand and opportunity determined what Jesus should be doing. That was their conclusion, that demand and opportunity from their human perspective and logically reason it, they assume, hey, if demand is there, that's what you should be doing. If the request is for it, that's what you should be doing. They, they were determining in their mind what God's will was that demand dictated duty. And I can tell you something, folks, there will always be constant demands upon all of our lives, right? That's just reality. Part of life is constant demands upon our lives. It's inescapable not to have demands placed upon your life, people needing this someone wanting that, someone asking for this, can you help with that? That's just part of human existence, but people often tend to assume that demands and needs automatically determine what we should be doing. And we got to be careful of that. We got to be careful that we don't automatically assume just because there's demand for something that it means that we should do something. And just like the disciples who come to Jesus here, there's always going to be continual ideas of people seeking to dictate to you what you should be doing. Their ideas, their opinions on a particular matter, their input. Again, the disciples have good intention here, but they're giving their ideas. They're offering their opinions and their input, and they're doing anything with a corrupt motive. But we have to learn how to sort through that, to sort through people's opinions and ideas and suggestions and input. You should be doing this, or we should be doing that. And we have to realize that's always going to be a part of life, but we got to understand how to sort through that, how to sort through that process. Look what happens in verse 38 is they portray this to Jesus. The people are looking for you. Come on, let's go back. Look what Jesus says. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. So despite how it appeared from human reason alone, what does Jesus do in verse 38 there? He declines their demand. He chooses not to comply with their request, indicating what? That he knew what he was supposed to be doing according to the will of the Heavenly Father. And that's what directs him to do that, because Jesus, we might say, spent time alone with the Heavenly Father, he had a clear sense of direction in regards to what God's will was for his life, for that day, for what he was supposed to be doing. He knew with clear direction what the Father's will and plan was, and it was different than what the ideas of other people were. And this is a very important thing to take note of. He knew within God's broader plan, they're saying, Lord, you got to come back. There's more to do. There's way more opportunity. This whole town is lighting up for you. 
and we need to go back and, and keep, we got momentum here, Lord. This is a good thing we got going here in Capernaum. Let's go back. Let's keep the momentum going. And Jesus basically says, Peter, it's time to move on. It's time to go to the next towns, the little villages now, the little hamlets out there, because they need the word of God too. Oh, Lord, but this is the big city. We got a big thing happening. And, and, and he says, Peter, I know, because my father and I have spent time together, he says, I know what my purpose is, and he says, it's now time to go on to the next towns and preach there also, because he says, for this purpose I have come. Jesus understood there was more to do in alignment with God's broader purpose than just go back to Capernaum and heal more people's physical bodies and do more miracles, and he said, I know for this purpose, that is to spread the truth of the word of God, that is the purpose that I have come forth, to preach salvation, to share the word of God. Jesus knew that was his primary function, and so he said, you may want me to do more miracles, and they may want me to heal more people's physical bodies, but I know the spiritual health of humanity is way more important. So therefore, we need to now start going to other locations and share the word of God there too. We need to expand the sphere of influence of the truth of the gospel and let more people hear the word of God. And Jesus was able to discern this situation and decline the pressures and ideas of people and do what was the Father's will, I think, because he had just spent time alone with the Heavenly Father. And so he had a very clear sense of purpose for what he was supposed to be doing and stayed in tune with that. Jesus said in John 6, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 4, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And again, if we can take by way of application to our own lives, one of the benefits, folks, of spending time alone with God is it will enable us as people to have clear direction for what the Father wants for our life, for what our purpose is to be, for the plan that we are to be on, for the path that we are to be taking. It helps us to know what the Heavenly Father intends for us to be doing or maybe not doing, even if others want us to do something. It helps us to have the strength to navigate our day with clear sense of purpose and to, in a sense, follow our primary purpose regardless of what others propose. And we need to be able to understand that and walk in that because there are going to be times, as I mentioned earlier, through the demands placed upon us or the ideas given to us or opinions suggested to us that on occasion, if we're not careful, we can just move in all those things and then we can get misguided. And we can be following the ideas of our flesh or the suggestions of other people and get off purpose because we're not listening to the voice of the Father. What does the Father want you doing? What's his purpose for your day? What's his plan for your life? And that comes by spending time alone with him to be able to have that clear sense of direction, which all of us greatly need. Verse 39 then tells us that Jesus was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and again began casting out demons. So after Jesus declines with the purposeful you know, uh, kind of conviction, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do, notice in verse 39, he then actually goes out and he starts doing it. 
With a firm sense of, you might say, conviction, he obeys the Father's will despite human reasoning and other voices. And with confident faithfulness, verse 35 says, he goes out and he does exactly what he knew his intended purpose was. He goes out and he just starts preaching the word of God, sharing with more people, reaching more souls with the gospel, and spreading the sphere of influence of God's word to a greater degree, visiting these other synagogues and expanding the reach of God's word. And again, because Jesus spent time in prayer, not only did he have a clear sense of direction, what he was supposed to do, but I also see him here somewhat empowered in the spirit to obey the will of God without any hesitation. He says, this is what I'm supposed to do. And with power and conviction, he just does it. And whether they were going to agree with it or not, he was going to obey the father as he walks in the power of the spirit. And I could say to you and I, I believe another benefit of spending time alone with God is not just receiving direction from God, but it's as we spend time alone with God in his presence, we receive God's power for our lives to be able to walk obediently in the will of God for our lives. Because it's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to follow God's will, to carry out God's will, to do God's will. And it's as we spend time alone with the Father that the power of the Holy Spirit is poured into our life and enables us to do things that God's calling us to do, that we have the strength to do it, the courage to do it, the conviction to do it, the faith to do it. And I can't help but to wonder at times, is it possible in our lives that some of the weakness we find from time to time is due to perhaps a lack of time spent alone with God? Is it possible that some of the lack of direction in our lives is due to a lack of spending time alone with God? Could it be possible that in some of our lives, the reason that we are still struggling to overcome something is because of lack of spending time alone with God? And perhaps the simple antidote is that we need to become disciplined about disconnecting from people and other things and getting in a quiet place alone with God and letting him work in our lives as we seek him and we pour out our hearts to him and we hear from him and we're empowered to do what it is he intends. Isaiah 40 says it to us this way, even youths grow tired and weary, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May God give us the grace as we look at our value system as his children to recognize if this does not have a high value and level of importance in my life to the degree it should, may God give us the grace to make adjustments and to say, Lord, what do I got to lose to see what happens by spending more time alone with you? Amen?